Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. going to be in the book of Hebrews. So if this is your first week, um, we are going through, we just chew through books of the Bible. So last year we went through the book of Romans, this year we're going through Hebrews, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, be flipping there. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, um, we're going to be all over scripture today, and we're actually going to spend a big chunk of time in the Old Testament. But if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles back here on the tables, uh, or if you left one at home, or, or you, you do the kind of iPhone Bible, but you want a hard copy, just grab one when you come in, and then just keep it. Uh, I actually had a really generous guy who actually dropped off some like leather ESV Bibles um, that are awesome. And, and so, man, he, he was like, as many as you need, you just tell me. And so if you guys need a Bible, let us know, and we'd love to get you one. Um, okay, so we're going to be in Hebrews 3. And then, like I said, we're also going to be in the Old Testament. I want to, while you're kind of flipping there, um, I- illustrate this where we're going with a little story. Before I had kids, I've got two boys now, eight and five. But before I had boys in my life and all of the margin in my life, it wasn't all disappeared. Before that period of time in my life, uh, I used to go camping just by myself, man, me and my Bible. And that was like a thing. And so my wife and I, we kind of had an agreement like, okay, go spend time with Jesus uh, so you can be a better husband. So that's kind of what we did. Uh, And so I would go and I'd go camping. And there was this one time where I went camping. And I had gotten to the campsite, it was a state park, and I, and I found out that there are these pretty intricate trails. And I was like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go hike one of these trails. And there was about a 10-mile trail that led to uh, a waterfall. And I was like, oh, that's great, I'm going to go do that. So I packed my backpack, and I, I set up my camp. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to head out and, and do this long trail. Except I didn't plan it well, and so I headed out a, around evening after dinner time. And about a mile into my hike, it got pretty dark, uh, and I'm deep in the woods. And then about a mile and a half, two miles in, it's completely dark. And so I decided to go on a hike, and it was just dark, right? I could not see. I I mean, I I could not see in front of me. I could hardly see the ground. Uh, The trees were thick. And these trails, how they work is they have what's called tree blazes. And so a tree blaze is where somebody comes along in a trail that's not very well worn. And so it's kind of a hard trail to track with. It's not all smooth. You're kind of cutting through brush anyway. But they'll paint like some white or yellow reflective paint on a tree. And, and from that tree, you can see maybe 30 yards away where the next tree is and then the next tree and the next tree and the next tree and the next tree. And so you can kind of find your way through this 10 to 12 mile trail through these tree blazes that kind of carry you along um, this pretty overgrown, overgrown path. The problem is uh, when it's dark, you can't see that. Uh, and so what my entire evening, what my entire night looked like, I mean, what should have been just a leisurely stroll became an all night um, you know, exploration where I would stand at a tree and with my little rinky dink flashlight, by the way, I did not give up. I could have easily gone back and I, that is not the Fuqua way. We will do foolish things just for the sake of saying we got to finish this. So I was like, I know I'm a mile away from camp, but I am going to finish this thing in the middle of the night. So I would stand at a tree and with my little flashlight, I would shine to figure out, because this thing zigs and zags all through the woods, and so I'd shine until I could identify maybe 30 yards away where it looked like there was another tree blaze. And then I'd go to that tree, and I would get there, and then I would shine where my next one. And oftentimes, I would go, and I'd wander all the way there, 
And then I would be like, oh, nope, that's not a tree. That's just bird poop. That's not a tree blaze. And I have to go all the way back to the original tree that I was at and look again and figure out where the next tree was. And so that happened all night long. And I eventually got there and I survived and it was a whole thing and it was great. Um, and and it, was, it was an exciting thing. And here's why I illustrate that. Because um, not only do we see that play out here uh, in Hebrews 3, but I think this illustration of how we are to live and how we are to take our next steps, um, not only we see in Hebrews and where we're going to be in Exodus, we see it just all throughout the Bible. And we see it all throughout this ministry. That to answer the question, how should I live? If God is who he says he is, and I am who he says I am in response to how he's created me, then how might I live out my life? And we believe we are called to live out our life tree at a time by the word of God. That the word of God illuminates for us, okay, this is how you are to live. And when you get here, Lord, I don't know where to go from here. We get back in his word he calls us to go here and we follow him and he's given us these guides and he's given us these places. And I think so often, especially for young adults, man, we want a roadmap. You know, we want the whole roadmap mapped out for us and just show us what our future looks like. And so often our God says, trust me, trust me a tree at a time, a step at a time. That's certainly what Hebrews is gonna hit at this morning. And I want you to remember that illustration as we jump into God's word. Man, we are called so often to do this one step at a time. So Hebrews Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We're not actually going to spend a lot of time in the first two verses, but they're really important, and I want you to see something. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. So hold up right there, because there's this concept that's uh, been teased out a couple of other times, and then here in, in chapter three, it's talked about that Jesus is the high priest, and it is an really, really important. I would say it's probably the most important concept in all of the book of Hebrews. Uh, the author is gonna talk a lot about it. We're not gonna spend a ton of time today in two weeks, we're, I'm going to spend the entire sermon just on that concept because we see it really flushed out at the end of chapter four. And so today we're going to put a pin in it, but we know it's massively important. But at the end of, of this, we see uh, the end of verse two, we see this reference to Moses, that Jesus is this high priest, but then he references Moses just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. And the rest of this chapter He's not going to talk about Jesus, the high priest. He's going to talk about Moses, and he's going to center this, this message around Moses. So look at this, verses 3 through 6. Here's what he says. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. There's a lot here, but I want you to see what's happening here. So what's happening is we see that Moses is a big deal. This book was written to a Jewish audience who would have very much understood how big of a deal Moses was. And so the author is playing on that, and he's saying, yes, Moses is a really big deal. He was faithful in all of God's house as a servant, but Jesus is a bigger deal, a much bigger deal. He's faithful over all of God's house as a son, right? And then he has this house illustration here. He basically says, yeah, houses are great, right? If you see a beautiful house, wow, there's glory that 
either consciously or subconsciously, you're like, wow, that's an amazing house. But how much more glory this argument is making is the builder of that house. The guy who builds multiple beautiful houses, who raises these things up, that's the person who really gets the glory is the builder. Moses was an amazing house, but the builder is really uh, what we want to focus on, and that's what the author is starting to turn our attention to. He's going to take this story of Moses, and he's going to then turn our attention to, to Christ. And he says also in verse 6, but we are his house also. So not just Moses, we are his house if we hold fast. We are his house at the end of verse 6, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. The rest of this chapter is all tied and comes out of that idea in verse 6. You are his house if you hold fast. If you stay on the trail, you are his house that he's building, that he desires to build for his glory, not your own, not your comfort, but for his glory. He is going to do a work in you. He is doing a work in you if you stay focused, stay on the path. That's, that's what this is about. So how to hold fast so that we become the people that God designed and desires us to be. Um, and in order to show us how we are to do that, we get this amazing lesson of Moses in the Old Testament. Let me show you. Uh, Hebrews verse 7, it quotes Psalm 95 in the Old Testament. So in your Bibles, you'll see it. It might look a little different when it's laid out because it's, it's uh, italic and centered because the author is referencing a quote from Psalm 95, which says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So we see a warning here that Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 95 of how our Lord interacted. And what's happening here is he's challenging us to not lose our way, right? The author is challenging us and he quotes Psalm 95, which is a direct reference to how the Israelites who were following Moses 1,500 years earlier lost their way and got lost in the wilderness. That's what this is about. So how do I know that that's what this is about? Because he says it in verse 16 through 19, the end of this chapter. Look what it says. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? So he's explaining what Psalm 95 meant, that it meant the Israelites lost in the wilderness. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all of those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter the rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is nerdy for me, but I love what's happening. So if you've ever seen the movie Inception, this is the Bible's version of Inception. So what's about to happen in this sermon is I get to unpack Hebrews 3. Right? And Hebrews 3 here that we're unpacking is unpacking Psalm 95. And Psalm 95, the author of Psalm 95, is unpacking the entire book of Exodus and what happened. So we've just got these really, really amazing layers to God's word that all tie into Hebrews 3 where he says, look, look, look. And so in order to do this, Hebrews is challenging and encouraging Right? His reader for something that he needs to not miss. Don't miss what happened in the story of Moses. Apply it. So if we're going to apply this to ourselves this morning, we got to go there and we've got to understand what he's talking about. So 
we're going back to Exodus, okay? So the book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Flip there. I promise I'm going to keep this sermon 30 minutes. You're like, oh, no, he's going to preach the entire book of Exodus, and then we're going to do some numbers. That's always exciting. Um, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to get there. Um, Exodus chapter 3. This is fun. So in order to really understand this, in order to see, God, what do we do with this in 2021, today, how does this apply to me as a parent or a college student or wherever you're at this morning? How do I, we've got to really see what is he talking about with what's happening with Moses. So the Israelites were God's people and they were slaves in Egypt. The Pharaoh was a bad guy. He had them in captivity. He was using them as his unpaid workforce, right? They were his slaves. They were building his kingdom, um, the Lord sees it, and we, we set the scene in chapter 3, verse 7, and, and the beginning of 8. This is what we see. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So we see the situation is suffering. The Egyptians, I mean, excuse me, the Israelites are in slavery under the Egyptians and they are suffering. And God sees that. We see the situation and we see God's heart. He hurts for them. He says, man, I don't want them to be suffering. My heart is to free them not only from their slavery, but also to give them this new land, to give them this promised land, to build them into this kingdom for my glory, all of those things. So God calls Moses, this guy who's rebellious and wandering and trying to figure out life out in the wilderness and and herding sheep and he calls Moses to bring his people the Israelites out of Egypt and we see his call and we see Moses's doubt where Moses is like heck no in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3 says come I will send you this is God speaking to Moses in a burning bush come I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt and then look at verse 11 look at his response but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? What in the world are you talking about, God? Why me? Who am I? I'm not good enough for that. And then God answers. Look what God says at the very beginning of the next verse. He says in verse 12, but I will be with you. So Moses brings up this doubt of, I am, I am who am I? Why would I do that? Why would I be the person that you would choose? And God says, his response to Moses' doubt, I don't want you to forget this, it's gonna come up later, I will be with you. And then he has another doubt later in the next chapter, in chapter four, verse 10. Look, look we'll put up on the screen. But Moses said to the Lord, this is a whole second doubt that he's now raising with God. Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I can't talk good. I don't have good words. What am I going to do to go approach Pharaoh? Look at God's response. Then the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So we've set up this scene. Israelites are in slavery Moses is the guy God picks. Moses doesn't think he's got what it takes. God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm the designer of your mouth anyway. All of your insecurities I control, so go. So Moses goes. A lot of drama happens. 
like I said, I'm not going to unpack everything. A lot of drama happens. Um, Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to give you my slave pool. So that's not going to happen. And God starts letting these plagues happen. So these 10 plagues happen. And so water turns into blood and there's locusts and there's frogs and there's just all kinds of plagues that happen. Finally, the 10th plague happens. It's gnarly. Um, and the firstborn of everyone who didn't put the blood of a lamb above a doorpost dies. It's, it, is the worst, it is the worst movement of God that we've seen. It's, it's huge. It's catastrophic. And the Egyptians are like, okay, this, this is gnarly. And the Pharaoh says, take him. Your God is too powerful. I'm not going to stand in opposition with him. Take him. So, so they celebrate. And they're like, okay, we just got set free. Now what? I guess we go to the promised land. Okay. They start walking to the promised land, going on their adventure. Pharaoh changes his mind. He says, you know what? Forget that. What am I doing? His heart hardens, it says. And then he takes his army and chases after them. And then this famous story um, where they get to the edge of the Red Sea. They're freaking out. Here comes the Egyptian army. God parts the Red Sea and they walk through it. We believe this miracle where God parted the Red Sea, let his people walk through it, and then collapsed the Red Sea on the enemies that were chasing behind them. <clears throat> Crazy stuff, right? Crazy stuff. Now look what happens in chapter 15. It's really sweet. Right after they had become victorious, there's an entire chapter in Exodus chapter 15, and it's a song. These guys get to the shore. They see what God did. They just got released from slavery, right, which was really gnarly. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle, plague, plague, God's power, go through the Red Sea, Red Sea collapse, get over there, and they are going crazy with excitement to God. I'm just going to read you the first two verses of the song that they wrote. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. They go on and on and on about how excited they are about the God they serve. Awesome. Story doesn't end there. Chapter 16, literally the next chapter. Look at verse 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Let's understand what just happened. Um, you're in slavery horrible slavery, um, and you get set free from slavery through miraculous events that are undeniable. God then sets you free. You then walk through a Red Sea. The Red Sea collapses. You guys are going crazy because you realize, I will, I mean, I will sing to the Lord. God is good. God is good. Within a chapter later, this is awful, right? Like within a chapter, the entire Israelite community is grumbling and wishing they could go back to Egypt. That's what happens in the book of Exodus. They get on the other side of the Red Sea, sing praises to God, and then immediately after, they're like, guys, we're hungry. Back when we were slaves, we could sit next to our slave master's meat pots and at least get their scraps, and that wasn't that bad now that we think about it. Hmm, we're really ticked that you brought us out here, Moses. We're really ticked that you set us free. That's what happens in the book of Exodus. That's what happens with God's people here. They go and they get set free and then they start 
wanting to go back and grumbling and grumbling. And then a lot of stuff happens. And then in chapter 32 of Exodus, I'm just going to paraphrase it, is that famous scene where they decide to make golden, a golden idol and worship that. Because Moses goes up on the mountain to speak with God, and they're like, man, we don't know where Moses is. We haven't talked to him in a couple of days. We're getting nervous. You know what we should do? Let's build false gods and worship them. That's what happens. And so they worship false gods, and God sees it. And God is so displeased with this, he mandates this entire generation, this entire generation, 40 years to wander in the wilderness, to never arrive in their promised land to never arrive in this land that God desired them to be in. Eventually they will take that, but he says this generation is going to have to die in the wilderness. Their hearts are stubborn, deceived. They're freed, but they are unable to build the new place God desired for them. They're stuck in the wilderness. They're no longer slaves, but they never lived the life they were ultimately called to. You see what God's doing here? Our God is clear, right? He came to set us free and he wants to build something out of our lives. He didn't just set us free to be neutral. He set us free so that we might be built into a community, into a man, a woman that brings him glory, a house that brings him glory. I realize outside of Parent Weekend, I'm usually speaking, this room, and even still today, is full of 18 through 23-year-olds, largely. The majority of people in this room are 18 to 23. You guys are in such a sweet season of your life. Such a sweet season of your life. And it's incredible. And and the decisions that you're making between 18 to 23 are these foundational building blocks where you're setting the foundation of saying, okay, who are you going to build me into? How is my life going to be shaped? What is the trajectory of my life going to look like? The decisions you make between 18 to 23, I think after over a decade of college ministry, I I think the decisions you make impact your life exponentially more than just about any other five-year window in your life. And so it's not lost on me who we get to preach this to this morning. Hebrews 3, Psalm 95, the book of Exodus, what happened in the wilderness with the Israelites. Don't miss this. Don't miss what the word of God is encouraging you and challenging you with build your life stay focused don't get lost in the wilderness so how how do we avoid making those same mistakes we are prone to wander guys how do we avoid making those same mistakes where we look up and we think oh god was doing sweet stuff and i just walked away from him i forgot i wandered and now i'm stuck in the wilderness yeah maybe i'm saved maybe i'm set free but i am not walking the way god wants me to be i'm not being built into this house for his glory that hebrews 3 references how do we avoid that let me take us back to hebrews there's one section in hebrews chapter 3 that i haven't read yet and it's verses 12 through 15 and in that section The author is telling us all about the Israelites and don't be like them and look what they did. You got to understand the context of what happened to them. And then he's saying, don't be like them. And here's how you avoid being like them. Verse 12, chapter three of Hebrews. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as 
in the rebellion, that reference to the rebellion in the wilderness. What do we have to do to make sure, right, that we aren't just set free to simply wander in the wilderness, right? What do we have to do to make sure that our our faith isn't just a, a box that we've checked, but now we're really just wandering in the wilderness? It's here in this passage. There's four big things in this passage that are really the application of this whole section of how we now go and live. One tree at a time, how we live. The first is we have to battle our unbelieving heart, right? We have to battle our unbelieving heart right there in the text. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Um, that is a, a huge key of how I stay close to the Lord. Um, we, we have this uh, song, actually, that we're going to sing here in, a, here in about five uh, or ten minutes um, when the worship band gets back up, and it's this incredible song that is a song of doctrine, right? It's a song of a lot of things that, that we theologically believe as followers of Christ. And if you just look at it um, w- without really understanding the context of our worship, it's, okay, we're just saying a bunch of things that we theologically believe of who Jesus is and what he's done and, and who God is and who the Trinity, and we're just singing doctrine. But the reality is we have to know who he is and what he's done. And then we have this incredible challenge of taking who he is and the doctrine of who our God is, this this truth that so many of us think, yeah, okay, I understand who God is, and I checked the box, and if I were to fill out a scantron, this is what I would believe, this is what I would know about him, and translate that to, does my heart really believe that? Is this just theological knowledge I have, or, or doctrinal agreements that I have in my head, or is this really belief in my heart? Right, for me, in my personal walk with Christ, who he is, right, and who he's calling me to be is not just a category that I've got to keep in my head. It's something that I know when I'm not really believing it, and I struggle to believe, and literally, that's my job. Like, my job is a pastor, and I struggle to believe all the time, and I see it in ways um, where, where my fear and anxiety creeps up, and as my fear and anxiety creeps up, I know that what, it, what that's indicating is, man, there is a shallowness to who I know he is, provider of all things, the one who has called me, the one who has equipped me, not because of me, but because of him. These things that I know to be true, I say, Lord, I, I'm more focused on my fear of man or fear of failure. And, and God says, remember who I am and believe who I am, but my heart is so unbelieving at times. Um, I think even in, in the story of Moses, right, we, we see that. We see Israelites that saw God do all these things. They saw God show up in power, unlike just about any generation in the history of the world. I mean, if you were living at that time, you would have seen God move in powerful ways. And then they got to the edge of the wilderness, and they just didn't believe. They, they, it stayed here. Yeah, these are all the things that God has done. Are the things that God has done for you just things that you agree with or are they things that you believe that are now shaping how you respond, how you act, how you treat others, how you interact in the world? Would our theology, would our knowledge become our belief more and more and more? I'd even encourage you during that song that we're going to sing later, use that as an exercise. Are these just things that I say I believe, I, I know or are they beliefs that impact how I date, how I study, how I think of others, how I talk to others? how I see my future, how I serve, how I love others, who Jesus is, who the Trinity is, who God is, what he's done, does it impact those things. The second thing we see 
right, in this, in this passage of application Hebrews, is that we have to encourage and challenge each other constantly, right? It says, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. So basically, is it today? Yeah, it's today. Okay, then I should be exhorting someone. So every day, constantly, I should be encouraging and challenging each other. That's what we're called to do, right? I'm constantly called to be encouraging and challenging. This idea of exhortation is this idea of challenge, but it's also this idea of of an encouragement. Hey, you're going the wrong way. Hey, you're going the right way. Let me encourage you. Let me spur you on. Or hey, if someone was walking into a burning building, I would hopefully love them enough to say, hey, that's dangerous. Turn, and that's what the body of Christ is to do. If we really want to stay, keep from wandering in the wilderness, man, do you have Christian community that looks like that? Do you have people that are all one step at a time trying to follow the Lord and are willing to love you enough to call you out and willing to love you enough to say, come this way, walk over here, that's dangerous, this is good, what you're doing is good, affirming and challenging and encouraging and exhorting. We're called to have that community. Third thing is this, avoid the lies that sin offers, right? Verse 13, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, right? That's a trap that he's telling us to avoid. And and the reality is that sin offers us these lies, right? The sin, the lies that sin offers are for for the Israelites were that slavery is better, right? That story that we're told to pay attention to. They got to the wilderness and they said, you know what? Maybe slavery is better. It's what we knew. It was comfortable. Remember Exodus chapter 16? They're like, man, take us back. At least we can get the scraps off their plate. This isn't fun. This isn't good. This isn't easy. I want to go back to what I'm comfortable. Sin is going to lie to you. It's going to deceive you. It's going to tell you that there's something better somewhere else. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't look back and say, okay, well, I've already been there. I've already done that. Or these are patterns. Or these are how I've always coped with this. And so I'm just going to return to those things. That's how we get lost in the wilderness. The deceitfulness of sin. It's going to tell you on the front end that sin isn't that big of a deal. You've got plenty of opportunity to compare yourself to others and say, well, I'm not as sinful as the next person, so maybe it's not that bad. There's plenty of ways that sin will deceive you, and it will always say it's not that big of a deal. It's college. Get it out of your system. And that's a lie, right? It's just going to sow seeds into your life that you're going to reap years and years and years down the road. Sin is going to lie to you. And it's so, it's so crazy, too, because sin on the front end, it always does this. It's, it, it always tells me it's no big deal. It's not that big of a deal, and everyone's doing it, and this is a coping mechanism that's appropriate, and this is whatever that looks like for you. Whatever, that's not for me to say. Whatever you feel that conviction is on the front end. And then on the back end of sin, it always says, whoa, that was a big deal. And it always tries to bury you in shame on the back end. Oh, I can't believe you did that. Wow, you made that mess. Oh, you're still stuck in that pattern. And it loves to minimize sin on the front end and then maximize shame on the back end. It is deceiving Don't settle. Don't settle. Chase after a God who doesn't just want to set you free. He wants to build you into something for his glory. Don't settle for anything less than that. And the last thing is don't forget where your confidence comes from. Right? We we see that there in that passage. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original 
our original confidence firm to the end. Don't forget where your confidence comes from. Exodus, what happens? Moses doubts, right? God calls him. He sees God calling him. He's literally in a burning bush, pretty phenomenal. And he's like, I'm not your guy. Who am I? I I can't even speak well. And what is God's answer? God's answer is not, hey, you're great, actually. Right? That's not where our original confidence comes from. Our confidence is not coming from God saying, actually, I think you're a great speaker, and you're going to do fine, and you're a unique snowflake that's really going to be great at this thing. No. He says, yeah, I know you're not a big deal, but I am a big deal. I'm God, and I will be with you. I think one of the most encouraging, freeing things, I hope you hear this as encouragement. I hope you have ears to hear this. So often, man, when we are beating ourselves up, and we just think, man, I am not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm not strong enough. I'm not whatever it is. And we start feeling down, and we start feeling like maybe there's a calling on our life or some step of obedience, and we just think, man, that's not for me, and I'm not. I love that the encouragement God gives is not you are good enough. The encouragement he gives is I am good enough. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all of the behavior modifications and disciplines. You just need to trust him one tree at a time, one step at a time. He says, follow me. And when we get discouraged and we think we don't have what it takes to follow him, be encouraged where our original confidence comes from. I hope you find freedom in that. Uh, what Francis said at the beginning, when we welcome, we'd say it all the time, we're a room full of broken people. This isn't about us. This is about a God who uses broken people and doesn't leave them that way, restores them and redeems them and builds them into something for his glory. So chase after him. Don't get lost in the wilderness. One step, one tree at a time that you would have confidence in who he is and the grace that he offers for you. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Um, We love you for how you love us because of how you love us, God. You started this thing first. Um, You met a bunch of broken people who really just have no business being used by you, these houses for your glory. And yet, here we are, being used by you, Father, and we are so grateful for that. Um, Lord, thank you. Would you continue to shape us into who you desire us to be? Would you continue to speak through your word, through your spirit? Even as we sing, God, would we not just sing songs to end this morning? Would we worship you, God? Would we meet with you, a God who is gracious and kind, who when we're in Christ no longer condemns us, no longer holds some record against us, but has set us free? And not just set us free to wander, but set us free to follow you so we might be built into your glory and your power. Lord, we love you. Do what only you can do. In the name of Jesus, amen.